hello again, everyone, and welcome to Late October and the 82nd episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, as we speak, harvest is in full swing. Uh, the cotton market finally broke the 70 cent barrier. Uh, we have tropical storms that just refuse to go away. Uh, and we have some possible news uh, getting ready to break maybe later today on uh, on the dicamba situation. Uh, but I guess the positive, one of the, one of the other positive things we can say is at least political ads are almost over. Uh, my name is Jim Stedman. I'm senior editor of Cotton Grower. And as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower editor, Frank Giles. Frank, how are things doing today? Doing well. I'm ready for those political ads to wrap up myself. I, you know, this, this cycle, I have been inundated with text messages uh, to the point, you know, not, I don't ever recall having as many texts, uh, political texts as I have this go round. So it's obviously one of the advantages of living in, you know, in Florida, which is, uh, you know, a, a big target state. Yeah, we're getting a lot of attention lately. So it will be a week from today that will. A week from today, uh, yes. Hopefully we'll know an outcome. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll know an outcome in two weeks from today. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. Anyway, well, anyway, here at the Cotton Companion, uh, we believe part of our responsibility is to entertain and, and share some topics that, quite honestly, uh, you may not even know you're interested in. And that's what we're going to do in this episode. Uh, many of you out there listening know John Gibson, who's vice president of member services for the National Cotton Council. But in addition to his work for cotton across the country, you may not know that he's also gathering some accolades for something entirely different. Uh, John's going to join us in the virtual studio today to share that story, and we hope you'll stay tuned to find out exactly what we're talking about. But before we do that, let's take a quick look at what else is happening in the cotton world. We just have a few uh, topics of interest to share today. Uh, according to USDA's crop progress report uh, from October 25th, 42% of the U.S. cotton crop has now been harvested up 8% in the past week. Uh, the largest percentage gains were reported in Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and, and Tennessee. Modest harvest gains of about 5 to 8% reported in the southwest and western states. Uh, crop condition re remains relatively steady with 40% of the crop rated good to excellent, 29% fair, and 31% poor to very poor. Um, seems like some of the pictures I've been seeing on social media, and we'll get more into photos here a little bit later, but um, in the past week, the, the crop photos I'm seeing are looking a little improved over some a few weeks back. So I think some of the harvest conditions have improved in some areas. Yes, I think they have. And sadly, though, I was looking at a news report this morning, you know, there is a winter storm moving into the uh, to the High Plains area and, uh, you know, in parts over into into West Texas. And, of course, cotton there is defoliated and, and people are ready to get it out. And, and the fear is they're going to get snow and ice on top of that crop. And we'll keep our fingers crossed that should that happen, it won't be too severe and uh, we'll be, be through there quickly. But man, this year just won't let go, will it? Uh, it's crazy. I don't know where we go after Zeta. I'm not sure uh, once that storm comes and goes, what the next name and line will be. I, I don't I don't know what else. I guess we go to Latin <laughs> yeah. names at that point because nobody can pronounce. Oh, so. my goodness. <laughs> uh, um, well, we may be having some big news on the EPA front uh, happening today. Um, 
the agency announced they were going to be making uh, an announcement. Uh, they did not specify what that announcement would be uh, today, October 27th uh, on a Tuesday in rural Georgia. And the EPA Administrator uh, Mark Wheeler will be there. Uh, some legislative delegations from Georgia, the Commissioner of Ag, Gary Black, and Zippy Duval from the uh, Farm Bureau. So I got a feeling it's something rather big to be announced or they wouldn't have all that uh, brass in attendance. So we're, we're speculating that it might be the re-registration of the three dicamba herbicides. And, and I think that's, you know, obviously we've been wrong before but, uh, you know, and probably will be again. But uh, when, when you look back over the last couple of weeks and the rumors that have been out there that, that EPA wanted to have this thing wrapped up and announced by the end of October, uh, it kind of makes sense uh, that this is, this is what we're going to be hearing this afternoon. So uh, obviously, if one way or the other, uh, next time Cotton Companion rolls around here in a few weeks, we'll, uh, we'll be spending some time based on, uh, on some of the information that comes out of this, uh, these, this Georgia farm uh, later this afternoon. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of the EPA, the agency is proposing a phase out of many current BT cotton varieties and corn hybrids over the next three to five years. In essence, any variety or hybrid that doesn't include BIP3A protein in its insect control package are being considered for a national phase down to a limited acreage cap yet to be determined. For cotton, that means any varieties that may still be on the market containing the original BT trait and the two gene stacked insect traits will soon be unavailable if they aren't already. All of this is designed, of course, to help hold off insect resistance to newer technology. The phase out plan found in EPA's recent publication, the EP draft proposal to address resistance risk and lepidopteran pest of BT, that's a mouthful. No kidding. <laughs> is only a proposal for now. EPA is seeking public comment from all stakeholders, including farmers through November 9th. Sounds good. Well, thanks, Frank. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on these developing stories. Now it's time again for, for something a little different. With harvest well underway, we wanted to step a little bit outside the box for this episode and visit with John Gibson, who's Vice President, Member Services for the National Cotton Council, and someone with whom many, many folks in the cotton industry are familiar with. But it's not necessarily his role with the council that we want to focus on today. Instead, it's a hobby of his that's bringing some new notoriety and attention to John. And with that, we're happy to bring John Gibson into our virtual Cotton Companion Studio. John, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Jim, and, and thank you guys for having me on. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about your role at the National Cotton Council and, and how you've had to adjust your programs this year. Well, sure, Jim. Uh, I served as Vice President of the Council's Member Services Department, and we're responsible for the Council's membership program where we work to maintain and expand our membership base. Um, membership and the Council is voluntary, so it's our job to make sure our members and non-members alike understand how they benefit from the council's work. In terms of how the pandemic has affected what we do, um, our largest group of members is the producer-generator segment. So 
we spend a lot of time on farms and in cotton gin offices and so provide staff support at the local level for many of the other council's departments and manage the leadership programs. And we definitely had to make some adjustments to our activities this year. Um, we've had to make sure that we understand how or what the cotton gin's COVID restrictions are in, in the different areas of the cotton belt and then figure out how to best interact with, with, with them. Uh, you know, some gins have very strict restrictions on visitors and others are okay as long as you're careful when you come in. And we're like everyone else, we've had to rely more on technology, you know, conference calls, Zooms, emails, internet to, you know, web pages, websites, things like that to, to communicate with our members. Farm visits haven't been as much of an issue since almost all of those are outside. And then many of the programs that you guys are familiar with, such as the, the pie program tours have been canceled this year. There are no pie tours. The Emerging Leaders Program that was supposed to kick off back in June has been postponed until July. And then a lot of the, the local producer and Jenner organization meetings that we normally attend have been canceled as well. Okay. Well, now, obviously you've been involved in, in this industry um, a long time, just sort of like uh, some, some other people on this, on this podcast. Uh, what got you interested and in involved in cotton? You, did you grow up on a farm? I did. I, I grew up on a, a farm in a, in a cotton ginning operation that was started by my great-grandfather and grandfather in the early 1900s. Uh, I grew up in Raymer, Tennessee, which is in McNary County, about 100 miles east of here, and we grew cotton corn, soybeans, and pimento pepper. Uh, cotton was always our main crop, and I always enjoyed working in it more than anything else. My dad and grandfather were very passionate about cotton, and I guess I inherited that from them. Dad made sure that my brothers and I understood how to run cotton gins and how to work on them at a young age. And I later used those skills to pay for college by running gins in Texas and Arizona. I graduated from college in 1983. Things were bad on the farm at the time and moving home just wasn't an option for me. And so Becky and I moved back to Memphis. I was working for my father-in-law and I, this was you know, way before the internet. And I was in the yellow pages one day and saw a listen for the National Cotton Council and I called in and, and told told the, the lady that answered the phone who it was and what I, I was looking for in terms of the job. She took my, my name and my information and a few hours later, I got a call from a gentleman in this department that, that I'm head of now. His name was Bob Love and I never will forget. He said, he said, John, I used to call on your dad and your grandfather and we want to talk to you. And so um, that was in early 
1984, and I started to work at council in uh, July 1984, and have been here ever since. It's it's amazing how some people get to end up doing what they're doing, and in the paths you take to get there, they're not always not always direct. And and I guess one of the things then that, that one of the reasons we wanted to get you on on the program today is talk a little bit about uh, you know not only the good work that you've been doing with the council, but you've you've kind of got a, a pretty visible hobby going right now uh, in, in photography. How long have you been interested in, in photography and how did you begin? When did you begin? I guess it's probably, uh, I became interested in photography probably about 1985. We were living in Arizona at the time and I bought the first camera after we found out that Becky was pregnant with our first son. I later started taking it, taking the camera with me to work, take pictures of of the cotton out west and and the desert it was just you know for someone from the, the mid south it was just amazing to see all that and i wanted some way to capture those memories and everything and i've always carried some sort of point and shoot camera since then i bought my first dslr camera a few years ago after i decided that i wanted a little bit more creative control over my photos and I spent a lot of time since then learning more about composition and lighting and editing and it's uh, it's a bit overwhelming but it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, cotton, I enjoy taking cotton photos the most because that's what I'm most passionate about but I enjoy, I enjoy almost every aspect of photography Cotton and landscapes are probably my favorite. And after that, probably wildlife and nature. I do some hunting and things like that. And I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy um, having a camera with me. I take one with me almost everywhere I go. Tell us about the equipment you use. Are you a Nikon man or a Canon man? I know that's like a Ford and Chevy question. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's one of the things, that's one of the things that I, I probably didn't research enough because, you know, once you, once you buy a brand, you're pretty much stuck with it unless you want to change brands and you got, it's a pretty significant cost to do that. But I'm a Canon guy. Uh, I, I know several people who've had uh, Canons and have been, had good experiences with them. Uh, my main camera is a Canon EOS R. It's a Canon virtual frame mirrorless model. Most of my photos, I have three main zoom lenses. They're all Tamron's. I have a 1530 wide angle, a 24 to 70, and a 7200. I have a drone. Uh, it's the DJI's first generation Mavic Pro. I use it to shoot a lot of the, the landscape panoramas that you see on my social media and and content shoot a lot of video uh, for the council i also have a, a gopro that's a lot of fun to use i use it for photos and some video and it's really great for for some of the time lapses and things what you know one thing and this has been my experience too because from for work we do photography but i also am a hobby hobby photographer as well but what about these new phones iphone uh 
and the quality of the photography you can get out of those. Oh, I'm telling you, it, it, they're just amazing. They're, they're absolutely amazing. And some of the photos that I see um, that, that people post are, are incredible. And uh, I read an article a few days ago and, you know, Apple has one whole division dedicated to camera technology and it's only getting better. It, you know, it's absolutely incredible. When I got into it, I, I really, you know, I, when I decided I wanted more creative control or whatever you call it, I really wanted, I wanted to be able to shoot something in a raw format where I would have more, more data, more information that I could use when in post-process and I, I I use Lightroom Classic a lot to do post-processing and and the, the image sizes are huge, but they give you a lot more flexibility in what you do. And I didn't feel like that a smartphone was giving me that, but you know, I see a lot of pretty pictures from, from iPhones and and smartphones. Tell me about the process because you I, the photos you, you you post on on social media are just absolutely gorgeous, and and it looks like you're spending a lot of evenings out uh, right now with uh, some night shoots and things like that. How do you find places to go and, and set up and, and do the things you're doing? I've got I've got a lot of farmer friends that that know that I grew up on a cotton farm, and they. They are very generous and let me let me come out on their places and 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 take photos. They know that that I'm not going to mess anything up in the fields and and that I you know when they're harvesting or they're planting or wherever they know that I know how to stay out of the way. And and uh, last thing I'd ever want to do is slow down slow down field activity. Um, so. Usually, as far as my process is concerned, I don't take a lot of morning photos of cotton unless it's, you know, cotton that's maybe in the growing stage. But I never take any really morning photos of cotton open. Nobody wants to see wet cotton. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's just the way it goes. We, we've seen enough of that so far this year. Well, yeah. I'm telling, I'm telling you, it, weather the last two or three falls has just been ridiculous. But Usually what I do, um, I'll start watching the, the sky late in the afternoon and, and if there, you know, there are gonna be some clouds where the sun, the sun will hit those clouds and change the color of, of the light. I, I usually get pretty excited and start thinking about, you know, who may have some fields that, that, that would be good to, to visit, take photos in. And, I'll go out. I'll go out and and stay. Stay until I feel like I get what I need. Uh, I recently became interested in doing more of the night photography, particularly during harvest, and and that's real interesting to me. This LED technology that you see now on all the modern farm machinery, the tractors and pot pickers and things, it's just amazing how much they light up the fields at night and and so about I don't know three weeks ago I was in a field and I was wrapping up and uh, I, I was watching the pickers go across the field and I thought there's a lot of light out there and 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 I 
put on a on my wide angle zoom lens and went running across the field and 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 got where I needed to be and of course you know get excited and get in a hurry I forgot everything there is to know about the exposure triangle and shutter speed and you know ISO and all the all the basics and after a few minutes of frustration I finally calmed down enough to, to get everything just right and and uh, it, the first the first good photo that I took was pretty amazing and, and I've taken several more since then uh, it's just uh, it, it was pretty exciting to be able to do that and capture that and and so after I bring photos after I finish in the fields usually what I'll do I, I, I take those home and probably 99% of everything I shoot gets post-processed. I typically either shoot a little underexposed or overexposed, depending on the situation. And then I bring that in to Lightroom, usually Lightroom Classic, and, and go through the process of, of adjusting the colors and you know the, the settings and everything, the noise reduction, things like that. I need to, if there's some objects that are in the way or something, there are times where I will carry that over into Photoshop and clone stamp those out and do whatever I need there to, to make it make it look a little better. But I really don't have any hard and fast rules about, about how I set up a camera or anything. It, it's just more, I, I, like, I like the adventure aspect of it in that I'm willing to try something new. And you know, it's it's a lot easier now to do that with digital cameras than it was when we were shooting film. I mean, you know, that's expensive. You know, <laughs> you know, you, you can try some, you know, back then you were, you know, paying what, ten or fifteen dollars to have a, a roll of thirty-six exposures developed and get get them back and half of them were underexposed or out of focus or whatever, you know, it's easy to snap off to 300 pictures now and, and you can, you know, you can discard the ones that aren't even good pretty quick. Yeah. I don't think any of us miss the, uh, the old film cameras, particularly when they would jam, you know, at a, yeah. you know, at, out, out in the field and, and you would end up ruining a, a whole roll of film in the process. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. Um, you guys, remember, you guys remember how big a deal it was when, you could take your, your film to the, the store, get it developed, and then get those photos on the CD. Yeah. You know, get your photos on the CD and pretend extra bucks. One time I walked in, I did that, and the lady, I said, I really don't want the print. You got to order the prints to get the CD. Yeah, I just want the CD, and she said, "Okay, you're going to pay for the CD, and we're going to throw the prints in anyway." So, <laughs> I'm sure there are a number of our listeners who who will remember that well, and some others who just are just kind of going, "I have no idea what you're talking about," at that point. But, uh, uh, John, where can people? So you say you've got you got things up on social media because that's obviously where I see the photos that that you're posting. Where, where can people find find your work and 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 take a good look at it? I have two Instagram accounts. My my cotton specific account is my cotton photos, and then I have just kind of a generic catch-all account 
that is Gibson was here, and it it features um, there there is some cotton on there, but it features a lot of uh, photos, a lot of landscape photos, wildlife photos, and and uh, some motorcycle photos, things like that. Some of my other interests. Okay. Well, speaking of motorcycles, I know that's this is this is another passion that you have and uh, another little hobby, and you have a tendency to sort of disappear from, from time to time and, uh, and take off some. I'm assuming there's a way that you've been able to, uh, to blend your photography hobby together with, uh, with the, the time you're able to spend out on the road on, uh, what's your, your cycle's name, Nadine? Nadine. Nadine is a 2008 Harley-Davidson Heritage Classic, and she's, she's an old-school-looking bike, kind of a retro bike, lots of leather, leather saddlebags, and chrome and things like that and and you know just like everywhere else if i if i get on on the bike and head out somewhere there's a camera with me and it's just amazing to me one of the things i enjoy probably about it the most is is how much your perspective changes when you're on a motorcycle as opposed to inside a car or a pickup or whatever you, you see a lot of things on a motorcycle that uh, you'd never see um, in a car. And, you know, my friends make fun of me because we can be out in the middle of nowhere and I'll see, I'll see something that I want to shoot. And, you know, I'll make a, a last second stop and I go, well, there goes Gibson again. And, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's usually worth it. It's usually worth it, but it, it's a lot of fun, and I figured out a way to, to take care of my equipment when it's riding in the saddlebags and everything, and I had a lot of really good opportunities to, to shoot some interesting things. We go out to South Dakota every year and always find, you know, find some good photo opportunities there. The West is another area that I really enjoy, and, and um, it's... Um, just a good way to motorcycle and photography is just a good way to, you know, spend some time. And I'm sure it's also a good way to just kind of uh, get away from everything and relax and clear your head and, uh, you know, try to forget uh, some of the other things that are going on at that point. It's very therapeutic is, is what I'm looking for. Oh, absolutely. As, as much as I hate to, we're going to have to wrap this discussion up. And John, thanks again for taking time to join us today on the Cotton Companion. Uh, it's always good to be uh, visit with you. Uh, this has been a, a great conversation and uh, a fun conversation. Uh, so we uh, we thank you for for your time. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I uh, I appreciate you having me on today. Once again, this wraps up this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. Thanks again to John Gibson for joining us in our virtual studio today. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us as well. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. Here's how you do it. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are 
at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The November issue of Cotton Growers off the press, and it should be hitting your mailboxes here within the next few weeks. And thanks, too, to those of you who responded to our call for photos for our Cotton Kids page, something we discussed in our last episode. Uh, just keep watching upcoming issues of Cotton Grower to see some of the most photogenic kids you'll ever see from across the cotton belt. This podcast is produced by Kim Henderson and Tyler Hatch, our talented colleagues back at the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. His name's Frank Giles, and we'll be back with you in a few weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. So for now, we wish you all the best and stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farmer.